from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back to Soberholic Podcast. My name is Roger. I'm in studio with Jason Rice, and today we're going to be talking to you about addressing the root cause. Oh, this is going to be good. You think so? Yeah. I, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's there's there's a big myth that whatever your addiction is, like whether it's food addiction or pornography or drug addiction, that that, that thing itself, the addiction itself, is the problem, right? And if yeah. I just quit that, everything will just be rainbows and butterflies after that. Well, that's exactly what I thought, uh, like my third attempt in, in rehab or really trying to get clean i had left rehab on my on this last attempt and i started going to meetings and i still had in my mind that maybe somehow i could go in there and learn how to like manage my drinking or just kind of fix that to where if i could just quit drinking then my problems would go away because that was where my problem was come from that you know I went to jail because I drank too much. I, I got into car wrecks because I drank too much. All of those things. So if I could just get rid of the drinking and the drug problem, well, then everything would be great. How how are some of those, those like, talk about how, how you tried to quit under that false assumption that it was the drinking's fault. Well, I, I'm not real sure. Um, so, like... Like I got an example, like I would just, I would say, I would tell myself I'm not going out to drink anymore. You know, I'm not going to go to bars because I get carried away when I'm drinking with other people. Right. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say is, you know, like with me, for one thing, I would take barbiturates like Valiums, Kalatapins, those mm-hmm. things. And I wouldn't ever remember what I would do. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, well, I'll just quit doing those and just do the opiates, you know. Right. And so it was kind of like you. I would manage certain addictions and say, well, if I can just do away with this part, then I can manage this other part. Yeah. And whether it be going to the bars on the weekend or, you know, I'll only drink on the weekend. And um, as I did all those things, I I never was able to manage that. Was you able to manage that at all? No. uh, I mean, because I would go to the bar by myself, you know, like I was that guy. And I'd just be like, hey, you know, I'd meet people or whatever, you know. But I also tried the reverse of that strategy where I was like, okay, I'm only going to drink when I go out with friends. You know, because, like, I would go to the bar and go out drinking, and then I would get, you know, I would pick up some more on the way back because, like, the idea of running out was, like, a terribly depressing idea. And But then then it just got to where I was, you know, drinking, you know, almost every day, um, not just whenever I was going out with friends. So then I tried, well, I'll just go whenever I go out with friends. And so it would be like once a week, but I would just like blow it out and act crazy and do stupid stuff and you'd embarrass find, myself. You'd have to find a new set of friends to go out with the following week because yeah. you made a fool of yourself. No, there was one time where uh, I had gotten out of rehab and like one of my buddies who had been trying to help me, like, you know, like he really had, he really was like really cared about me and was always checking on me and stuff. And he was like, yeah, man, well, you know, just don't do drugs. You know, just, we'll just go out and have a few beers. It'll be fine, you know. 
And I was like, yeah, that sounds, I mean. That makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, we did. And then I remember <laughs> after one time he was like, yeah, maybe you don't need to, maybe you don't need to drink either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what'd I do? <laughs> but, uh. Well, during those periods of time, for me, when I was doing the managing in any way that we're talking about, it could be any of the or all of the things that we just mentioned, because I've, I've done all of those in one form or another. I never really was sober through those times. It was really a way of me just trying to manage things. Fortunately, after that last attempt at rehab, I started going to meetings. And this is where I started hearing of other people in sobriety, like, and a lot of them had long-term sobriety and things started clicking and making a little more sense because, you know, they would tell me that, you know, absences was really the only way that you could ever maintain sobriety. Well, that was really something new. I'd always wanted to figure out a way to manage it. I didn't really want to go without. And so hearing this from other people who've been where I'd been saying this was the only option, I started doing that. So in a sense, you could say that I was sober. I mean, I was sober. But I really had not done anything other than just stay sober, stay dry, whatever you want to call that. And that's when things started looking a little different for me because now the drugs, the alcohol was becoming removed from my body because I don't know about you, but for me, just because I quit drinking, things didn't just change. In fact, it was probably close to a year before I could really come out of that fog where things really started to begin to click on all cylinders again. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized during that process of maybe that year, I don't know if it was one year or 14 months or whatever, um, I, I realized that, you know, I had a lot more stuff going on in my life than just the drinking. Yeah. In fact, the drinking was just the way to, to numb it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was whenever I started coming, going to meetings, I started actually asking myself, well, why, why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And even still after being in meetings for a while, like in my mind and, and, and through, through most of my addiction, like the reason why I, I drank and used drugs the way I did is because it was somebody else's fault. It was because I couldn't get the right job. It was because I couldn't get, you know, the right, you know, get in the right relationship with the right person. It, it was always, it was never my fault, you know. And, you know, if you had these set of circumstances that I did, well, then you'd drink like I do. And so even even after I was going to meetings for a while, like I still kind of operated under, under those, those, those false pretenses. And then, you know, really it was just step one that finally shattered that where I was like, you know, I, I drink the way I do because I'm an, I'm an alcoholic. I drink like an alcoholic. So did you carry that victim mentality? I mean, that's what it oh, sounds yeah. like, you know. I did, it, yeah. It, all this happened because of what y'all did to me. Yeah. And it's not, and when I say, when I say it like that, like it's, it's not my fault, you know, that I, whenever I drink, alcohol that i drank like an alcoholic you know i i think that i didn't just wake up one day and be like you know i, I want to drink like an alcoholic one day <laughs> you know it wasn't like i set out to do that on purpose but you know it is my responsibility now knowing that you know to do something about it let me i'm gonna sidebar our whole topic here because i'm just curious of this do you believe that you could drink yourself to be alcoholic. Like, 
I, I'm sure that. Well, I'm not sure. Yes. You know, I think that you could probably drink one or two, and it was fun. Well, one and two was great, but three or four had to be much better. Yeah. And so I think I crossed a line somewhere. Yeah. And had I not taken it to extremes, maybe I could have drank like normal people. Have you heard my nun, my nun analogy? No. So if you have a hundred nuns, you know, like with the robes and the mm-hmm. things, and like Catholic Church, you know, monastery nuns, right? If you take a hundred nuns and you make them drink you know, a six pack of beer a day for 30 days. Then at the end of 30 days, you say, Hey, you can quit drinking now. You don't have to do it anymore. There's going to be some of them that going to keep on drinking. Right. You know, it might only be five or 10. Now, if you shoot heroin up in a hundred nuns, how did we get here? How did we get into shooting heroin up in nuns? And do it for 30 days, then there's going to be a lot higher percentage of them nuns needing that at that end of that 30 days. But I, I do, I do think that you can, you can over time become an alcoholic. <laughs> Scientific nun study for you that don't yeah. know, don't know about it. This is, it, that, that was a thought experiment. That is not real. <laughs> but I, I do believe that, um, I don't. I, mean, I got no way to to support that. It's just just kind of my own belief of, of looking back at my life and going, you know, I, I was always chasing that euphoric experience and mm-hmm. kind of like your your point with your nuns. Um, the percentage would be lower with the ones that drink beer versus the one that shot heroin because that your euphoric experience is much higher or greater mm-hmm. with a heroin and that's what i was chasing it, you know so if a little was good a lot would be great yeah and i, I never i mean my whole time drinking i never wanted to, to just drink sociably i mean i i can't remember that maybe the first one i did but um, I, I like I choked beer down because I didn't really like it. But I knew if the I effect. put enough of my body, I was gonna feel good. Yeah, it was the effect produced by alcohol. Right. I, you know. But you know, for me, uh, uh, you know, we was talking before I got you sidetracked. We were talking about how um you kind of got there, and you were talking about being the victim. And for me, I, I thought drinking was my problem. Uh, that. You know, if I could just quit drinking, then all my problems would go away. And as I began doing step work with a sponsor, um, I had a lot of those same victim mentalities as, as you're talking about. But my bigger one that I believe was the thing that pushed me over the edge, that kept me in addiction longer than any of my resentments, or not, I shouldn't say resentments, but the victim part, is my resentments against God. Mm-hmm. I, I had so many resentments against God that I wanted to have nothing to do with him. And he was no part of my life. And if you mentioned him, I was going to cuss you out and it was going to get ugly because mm-hmm. um, I just, I was so, I hated God. I mean, I can't express how much I really did hate God. And um, so I would use the drugs and alcohol to, to medicate. You know, um, and that that would help me. That was the only way that I knew to get through life. I didn't ever go to a higher power. I never went to um, to my savior. You know, as my mm-hmm. Christian faith does now. Um, there was no praying to something bigger than myself. It was simply relying on myself, and I did that by numbing the pain. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't say I'm going to make a billion dollars. You know, and just let money 
you know, just cover all this up, you know, yeah. or you didn't uh, put it put it into a productive hobby like sailing or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you just numb the pain. And they, that, there's a reason why they say that resentments are the number one offender because it's true, you know. I mean, the, 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 the big relapse I had um, after I'd been in meetings for a while, I mean, that's what it was. It was over and over resentment over a relationship that had gone, gone bad. And, and, and that's, you know, uh, there, the, the rehab that I went to in new Orleans, whenever, you know, somebody would leave the program and then like a month later, you see them come back. Right. And, uh, the, the director of the program, he'd always, whenever they come back, he'd always ask them, what's their name? <laughs> and and like nine times out of ten they were like yeah yeah this is this is behind a relationship you know well i've said in a lot of meetings and i know you have too and our listeners have too more than likely or at least if they have it they hopefully will sit into a lot of meetings and I, i've noticed throughout the years that um if we're addressing the root cause there's this point where you get to doing a fourth and fifth step. Mm -hmm. And that's usually where people say, no, I'm good. I don't really want to do that because things have gotten better. They've experienced some sobriety, but they've never got to the root cause. And they, they choose not to get there. And so they, they ignore a fourth step and they never share it with their share their fifth step. And, uh, you know, more times than not, they end up going back out. Because they never got to the root cause of what's going on. They just thought if you could remove the drugs and the alcohol, then things are going to get better. And uh, I've just learned from experience that's not the case. There's more things going on in our life mm -hmm. uh, that we have to address and find out You know the triggers that bring us to the drugs and alcohol, the resentments, the victim mentality, all of those things, you know, the... Um, the pride, the ego, the insecurities, boy, did I have a bunch of those. You know, those are the, the really the root causes that was going on in my life that I never dreamed was the problem because my problem was just I drank too much. And if I quit drinking or managed the drinking, then things would get better. Yeah. Boy, was I wrong? Yeah, that's the you see a lot of people do the three the three step shuffle mm -hmm. and uh they don't want to face the, the the deep down things, the underlying issues. Um, because it's hard, you know, it's hard to take an honest look at yourself. And, you know, like I've shared on here before, you know, with all the journaling that I did where I was like lying in my journaling, <laughs> uh, you know, it was hard for me to actually be honest. Um, and then to admit, you know, to admit to God and another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. Um, some of the stuff, you know, I had never shared with anybody before and I was ashamed of. Um but I'm glad I did. And, you know, whenever I, I, I've heard of people when they do their fourth and fifth steps, they just feel this, they're just lighter than air right after it happens. And, you know, they feel so much better immediately after they did it. Well, that wasn't really my case. Like, really. <laughs> That's the same with me. I was like, well, crap. Did I do it right? <laughs> yeah. Did I do this right? <laughs> I mean, really, it was, it was like, it was after I got done with the ninth step where I started really really thinking, okay, I might, you know, this, this, this might actually be working, you know, and this might've all been worth my time and effort and, you know, all, all the things I had, all the work I'd put into it up until that point. 
And then, you know, of course, now looking back years later, I'm like, it was definitely worth it, you know? Yeah, if we, um, if we admit that there's more going on with us, or, or maybe come to a, a realization that there's more going on in our lives than just the drinking, uh, you know, the first step is we've got to quit putting the chemicals in our body so mm -hmm. we can address the bigger problems. If we can get past that to where we can get sober, then we can realize that there's more problems going on. And, um, and those are like the things what we've been talking about, the insecurities and the resentments and all that. And that we just used the drugs and the alcohol as a way to medicate or cope um, situations. Then we can begin living life on life's terms. And we, we hear that term a lot in recovery. And simply put, it just means that we can live life as it comes to us. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to find um, a way to medicate that. And, you know, life's not always going to be good, and life's not always going to be bad. Right. There's another saying, this this too shall pass, you know. Oh, uh, that one, yeah. I repeat that to myself a lot even today, you know, because I can be just uh, on a pink cloud, as my first sponsor would always remind me, um, that you better have a pink parachute to come off that cloud because, you know, Today may be a great day and think mm -hmm. there's no problems possibly could happen in my life. And tomorrow could be the worst day I've ever had. And I've got to have tools in my toolbox to be able to navigate both the good and the bad. And the awesome thing that recovery's taught me, and especially with my faith, is that my my God doesn't change. And he's, he's the same in the good times and the bad times. So while I may be inconsistent on how I feel and do, he is not. And so I can always go to him regardless if it's a good day or a bad day. Mm -hmm. And I can go to him instead of the drugs now. And that that's a big difference for me. In fact, that was maybe the one thing that I never really had because I was so resentful against him. I never wanted to go to him for any of that. I just wanted to rely on myself and – I didn't. I wasn't built. I wasn't made to handle these problems on my own, and so that's how I kept going to the drugs. That that would make it go away until I woke up, and mm. then the problem was multiplied. Mm. So um, it, it's been cool as I live life on life's terms. I can navigate the good and the bad because of the God of my understanding. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like. It, it, you know, the acceptance of, you know, that life is not so, so I, I think a lot of what fueled a lot of my drinking and, and, and using early on was that whenever, whenever bad things would happen or things wouldn't just go my way, like I had such high expectations, unrealistic expectations on my life that I just couldn't accept them. And so I'd use and drink, you know, to cover up that, that resentment um, that would come up. Like, my life's not turning out like I thought it was going to turn out kind of deal. And, you know, and that w once I accepted that, hey, this, yeah, we're going to have to just roll with this, this whole life thing, <laughs> um, it, it got easier. Um, but, but I mean, that's, that's an ongoing thing. That's not, it's not like that I'm just, I can just accept you know, my life as it is one time. And then that carries on through. Um, and I, I've actually kind of learned something about acceptance, um, in the last few months, um, with some different situations in my life. Um, there's a difference between acceptance and resignation. Mm. 
because because like I'm I'm that black and white thinker, you know that and black and white feeler, where it's easy for me to ex- to accept something and just be like and just not care about it and just be like and just throw it away. Okay, oh yeah, I accept that, and I don't care about it. You right. know, it's hard to find like a balance right. of like accepting it, but not being resigned in the situation. Like, you know, if, if there's a relationship or whatever, that's not, it's not going the way you want it to go, but the, but you feel like you've done all that you can to do in it. But, you know, you just want to just throw your hands up and be like, I give up, I'm done. Mm-hmm. But you can't because that would be resignation, right? And so trying to find that a balance with accepting that you can only do what you can do um, without so, throwing it away. So kind of like staying in it even when it's hard. Staying in it when it's hard. Yeah, that's a form of ex- of of acceptance, you know. And I mean, it's the core of what the Serenity Prayer really means, you know. Um, changing the things I can and 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 leaving the rest up to God. <laughs> One of the things I heard you say just then. <laughs> Um, as you began talking about all that, you mentioned about how these expectations of what turned out the way you thought. The insanity is I could see you with a needle in your arm going, well, this sucks. This just, uh, you know, I thought I was going to do more with my life. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> oh, I would be like cleaning a toilet and being like, you know, I mean, I should have been president of the United States. You know, <laughs> I had such a weird, I would, I could think less of my, I, th- I could think nothing of myself but still like have a raging ego at the same time, you know, <laughs> like the dichotomy there is like right. really strange. And I know that we have listeners that, that kind of are going through the same thing where, you know, your life's not where you expect it to be. And it's not turning out like your, you know, like your schoolmates or your, um, your relatives may be doing it. You compare yourself to your brother or your sister and go, wow, they've got this beautiful family and everything's working out great. And, and here I am. Um, I've lost everything and I've lost my car. I got nowhere to live. And I expected to do more with my life. Well, I think that all addicts expect to do more with their life, but we stay addicted and, mm-hmm. and living in the craziness and expecting things to change, but nothing changes unless something changes. Right. And that begins with quit putting the dope in your body. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we can begin to address the root cause because that's where the real change begins for me. It's, it's more than just taking, doing away with the drugs and alcohol because there came a point where I really couldn't even do that anymore. Like I, I couldn't stop period. But there were times through my drinking and drugging career that I would quit on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. could, I would prove yeah. to other people that I'm not as bad as y'all say I am. I'll quit all week long this week, <laughs> you know, because I didn't have no money. <laughs> I was broke anyway. I was mm-hmm. out of stuff to pawn. And I'm showing you. And you needed that, to eat. Yeah. A couple uh, of days. Uh, yeah. But but I would convince myself that, you know, I'm doing this to show them I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm really, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had pinned myself in a corner to where I had to do this to show everybody that I was not as bad as I was. Or it usually happened a lot with probation and parole, um, those type things where I I had to get right for a little while to take a drug test or a job or something. And so, you know, if I can keep it together for a week, then it's really not that bad. But the other three weeks of the month, I can do what I want to. Right. Because, you know, I, I I still got control of this. Yeah. 
and we don't have control of it in fact people who drink uh normally don't have the thoughts in their heads that we have they're trying to justify they don't even think about the drinking it's just they drink a beer like i would drink a water and you know it's just that's it that's the reason they live leave half of it on the table because they just didn't want no more right yeah yeah and i mean you know that's why the uh that's you know that's the beautiful thing about the 12 steps is is it gives us a way to deal with life and 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 how to cope with life and you know for me you know i believe that the only way that i've ever found any kind of peace um and any kind of meaningful life is through jesus christ um as my as my higher power and um you know i I looked in a lot of other a lot of other strange places um and uh you know i got into crystals and new age stuff for a long time and you look uh, like one of those guys yeah that be I, tried, crystals. I had a foray into some new age stuff and buddy was that strange mm. and you know it just you know yeah anyway we won't get into all that but <laughs> i mean you know my relationship with jesus christ is the only thing that's ever really brought me um a peace and satisfaction that i've never found anywhere else yeah, and I guess the cool thing about it all for me is I look back to my faith and how it intertwines with recovery. Um, as I look back at Jesus, um, he come to serve. You know, when we see his first earthly ministry, he come to serve. And in our 12th step, we're called to serve, mm-hmm. you know. And so we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, they don't say that in AA meeting. Right. You yeah. know. Um, <laughs> Service. Yeah. But, my, but my faith shows me that I need to serve. Yeah. And if I want to navigate life on life's terms and learn how to um, do the right thing um, without having to get high or, or get drunk, then I found that by helping other people that I, I get out of myself and I get out of my problems. It's hard to, to do something for someone else and still – um, have this poor pitiful attitude about myself because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times when I'm helping someone else I see how bad they've got it and yep. I go wow your your problems really ain't that bad Roger yeah it, yeah it really when you help especially when you're helping the newcomer um, who's who's fresh in you know off of using or maybe even still using it really it really helps my gratitude you know skyrocket because I'm like you know, man, the problems I'm dealing with here, this guy would kill to have these problems that I got, you know, because he's working on a whole different level of problems here. He's looking at going to jail, prison for 10 years here, and, you know, all places where I had, uh, you know, I've, I've been there, and but I've, but it's been so long I forgot, you know. And so that's why continually helping the newcomer is definitely important. And, you know, I mean, I, I really like doing it because I, well, I love doing it mainly because it makes all of the, all the things that I went through, you know, it makes it seem like there was, I'm, I'm, I'm being able to utilize that as an asset now. And it wasn't just useless pain that I went, went through for no reason. Right. Well, you know, um, if you find yourself still struggling in addiction on and off not sure why you're doing it um i don't know that we have the exact answer to that other than i do believe there's underlying causes that brings us to addiction and that we use that to 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 medicate Mm -hmm. and so if you want to find help and really overcome the addiction that you're struggling with 
then you got to address the root causes. And so my suggestion would be for anyone, if you find yourself kind of in that rat race of, you know, getting or using or, or going back to your addiction and trying to get sober and back and forth, then to get sober and then begin looking at those root causes. And you can do that by working the steps. It's just that simple. And uh, don't neglect moving through all of those steps in order. They're, they're like that for a reason. And do it with a sponsor. That worked for me. That's worked for Jason. And I believe it'll work for you as well. Uh, you got anything to add before we close this one up? Yeah, no, other than just it's a spiritual it's a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution. And, uh, you know, I, I thought the solution, I didn't know it was a spiritual problem for so long. And so I tried to find solutions that, that wouldn't meet that, that and required, you know, all the things that we've talked about. You know, it's going to take a spiritual solution. I agree with you 100%. Well, that's it for another one. Until next week, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.